are you out there? Amen. God is good. God is good. Amen. Well, we're going to get into the Word in just a minute. Before we do, we were supposed to have a dance this morning, but our dancers weren't feeling good, so we're going to see that in the future. So I'm going to dance for you in just a minute here. I try... I keep trying to get on the team, and Colleen keeps cutting me, so I don't know. We're going to have to do something, but we're going to have some special parts of our service in just a minute. Pastor Mike is going to come and read the Christmas story to us, and uh, we do this every year. And Many times we use multiple people, but he has multiple personalities, so we're just <laughs> going to let you do the whole thing this year, Pastor Mike. Um, but we just want to, uh, before we jump in, just for those of you who don't know, our, our dear brother Uncle Phil went to be with the Lord. And uh, it's just uh, a time for us to be thankful for all that he's sown into our worship team. When I was a young man at the age of 14, I came to church here, and he was up there drumming. And now he's drumming in heaven, even though Pastor Frank says there's no drums in heaven. I know that Phil's drumming now, and he, he's with the Lord, but we do feel a, a great sense of loss over him. And, you know, for years... Uh, he had sat in that seat there, and him and I just had a lot of fun. Even when nobody was saying amen, we still had fun. And so uh, we're going to miss him. But pray, pray for the family. Pray for Cindy. And uh, know that God's in control. Amen. And uh, soon we'll all be together. Because life is just a wisp of smoke. It's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. But our eternity is secure, and, and heaven is forever. And we're going to all wind up there together because of Jesus. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Pastor Mike, tap into those personalities for us. Which one should I choose? <laughs> Amen. Well, let's begin with the, the true meaning of Christmas. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. Amen. I'm reading a chapter out of One Incredible Moment by Max Lucado. Do you see him? It's Christmas night. The house is quiet. Even the crackle is gone from the fireplace. Warm coals issue a lighthouse glow in the darkened den. Stockings hang empty on the mantle. The tree stands naked in the corner. Christmas cards, tinsel, and memories remind Christmas night of Christmas Day. It's Christmas night. What a day it's been. Spiced tea, Santa Claus, cranberry sauce. Thank you so very much. Oh, you shouldn't have. Grandma's on the phone. Knee deep in wrapping paper. Oh, it just fits. Flashing cameras. But now it's Christmas night. The tree that only yesterday grew from soil made of gifts again grows from the Christmas tree stand. Presents are now possessions. Wrapping paper is bagged and in the dumpster. The dishes are washed, and leftover turkey awaits next week's sandwiches. It's Christmas night. The last of the carolers appeared on the 10 o'clock news. The last of the apple pie was eaten by my brother-in-law, and the last of the Christmas albums have been stored away, dutifully performed their annual rendition of chestnuts, white Christmases, and red-nosed reindeers. It's Christmas night. The midnight hour chimed, and I should be asleep, but I'm awake. I'm kept awake by one stunning thought. The world was different this week. It was temporarily transformed. The magical dust of Christmas glittered on the cheeks of humanity ever so briefly, reminding us of what is worth having and what we were intended to be. We forgot our compulsion with winning, wooing, and warring. We put away our ladders and ledgers. We hung up our stopwatches and weapons. We stepped off our racetracks and roller coasters and looked outward toward the star of Bethlehem. It's the season to be jolly because more than any other time, we think of him. More than in any other season, his name is on our lips. And the result? For a few precious hours, our heavenly yearnings intermesh and we become a chorus, a ragtag chorus of longshoremen, Boston lawyers, illegal immigrants, housewives, and a thousand other peculiar persons who are banking that Bethlehem's mystery is in reality a reality. Come and behold him, we sing, stirring even the sleepiest of shepherds and pointing them toward the Christ child. For a few precious hours he is beheld, Christ the Lord. Those who pass the year without seeing him suddenly see him. People who have been accustomed to using his name in vain pause to use it in praise. Eyes now free of the blindness of self marvel at his majesty. 
all of a sudden he's everywhere in the grin of the policeman as he drives the paddy wagon full of presents to the orphanage in the twinkle in the eyes of the Taiwanese waiter as he tells of his upcoming Christmas trip to see his children, in the emotion of the father who is too thankful to finish the dinner table prayer. He's in the tears of the mother as she welcomes home her son from the overseas. He's in the heart of the man who spent Christmas morning on Skid Row giving away cold bologna sandwiches and warm wishes. And he's in the solemn silence of the crowd of a shopping mall shoppers as the elementary school chorus sings away in the manger. Emmanuel, he is with us. God came near. It's Christmas night. In a few hours, the cleanup will begin. Lights will come down. Trees will be thrown out. Size 36 will be exchanged for size 40. Eggnog, <laughs> Eggnog will be on sale for half price. Soon life will be normal again. December's generosity will become January's payments, and the magic will begin to fade. But for the moment, the magic is still in the air. Maybe that's why I'm still awake. I want to savor the spirit just a bit more. I want to pray that those who beheld him today will look for him again next August. And I can't help but linger on one fanciful thought. If he can do so much with such timid prayers lamely offered in December, how much more could he do if we thought of him every day? <laughs> Praise God, good thoughts. I want to just welcome the men from Transformation Life Center that are here with us this morning to worship. Amen. Welcome, guys. <clears throat> They didn't get the message that we were only having one service, so they had to listen to our rehearsal. So hopefully, hopefully they come back after that. But the message I have for you this morning is called The Gifts of Christmas. And uh, Luke 2, verses 10 through 12 will be our text. If you turn to Luke 2, and, you know, familiar verse here. Just going to thank the Lord for everything that's happened here this morning. What an honor it is to just to be together and just enjoy one another this morning. Amen. We should be thankful for that. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for the time where we celebrate uh, all of these things that remind us that there's more to life than the hustle and the bustle and the materialism, but it's all about Jesus. Thank you for a season where even in the midst of sickness and a pandemic, Lord, that we can all stop and pause and celebrate the birth of the Savior. Help us, Lord, to have the joy of the Lord that's contagious for a world that's spinning and confused and scared. Help us to be light and life, salt and light. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. The gifts of Christmas. The culture of Christmas is tightly woven through the fabric of all of our lives. We can't get away from it. Even if you're not a Christian living here in America, the Christmas season brings everything to a halt and brings to mind the fact that we Christians celebrate on this day the birth of Christ. Whether we like it or not, or whether we find traditions useful or not, they are woven through the fabric of our lives. While most of our traditions that we celebrate, now this might come as a shock, are not biblical, you know, it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that we should celebrate Jesus' birth. He almost definitely wasn't born on the 25th of December. It never tells us to have a holiday. 
Some of you look sad, like I just told you there was no Santa. (laughs) Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry, kids. But the truth is that these things are traditions to us. They are not biblical mandates, but yet they are an opportunity. Some people say, well, I'm not going to celebrate it all. Well, you're missing an opportunity when the world is finally paying attention to the fact that Jesus came as a babe born in a manger. You are missing an opportunity to point someone towards the light. So we Christians, while not biblically mandated on the 25th of December to, you know, have these uh, pauses where we talk about these things, they are cultural, but these holiday traditions are part of the fabric of each of our lives. We hear stories about St. Nick who has morphed into Santa Claus and the North Pole and everybody knows about elves and everybody knows about the toys that they make there part of our childhood. It's part of our culture. It's a rich part of our lives. The holiday traditions, the family meals, the gatherings at the table, as Jill read in the story, all of those things mean something to us. Grandma on the phone, the prayers that we pray. They're all important. They're all part of our tradition. How about the holiday TV specials? Come on, man. I'm telling you, I grew up with Frosty the Snowman. Frosty was the best belly whopper in the world. I remember we would be so excited. We'd get our little feet pajamas on and we'd sit in front of the TV. We'd watch Rudolph, the model for bullying. <laughs> the red-nosed reindeer. What a special time it was. You know, even the Grinch. To watch, you know, after I got saved, I watched the Grinch's heart grow. Remember that? I was like, man, he got saved. That's what that was. None of us can forget the Charlie Brown Christmas special. In fact, I'm going to have Kim come. Look at that. Yeah, amen. Charlie Brown. Kim is going to come and read us a little something about the Charlie Brown Christmas special that maybe a lot of us didn't know. And I want you to listen to how God uses our culture to affect people with the gospel. In 1965, Charles Schultz, a devout Christian and creator of the Peanuts comic strip, was asked to create a Christmas special for CBS featuring the Peanuts characters. He agreed with one requirement, that they allow him to include the story of Jesus' birth. Although the station's executives were hesitant and tried to convince him otherwise, Schultz was insistent. As a result, for the past 50 plus years, Millions of people have watched A Charlie Brown Christmas and heard the story of Jesus, what Christmas is all about. If you watch closely, you will notice there appears to be a hidden message in the film. Linus, a child who seems to have some insecurities, carries a security blanket with him at all times. In fact, Linus never drops his blanket except once. While sharing the message of what Christmas is all about, Linus drops his blanket at the exact moment he says the words, fear not. In this seemingly innocent moment, Linus delivers a powerful reminder of the true meaning of Christmas. We are to fear not, for Jesus is born. We needn't rely on material things for security. We have God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the true meaning of Christmas. Some critics may point out the fact that Linus picks up his blanket at the end of the speech, rendering the hidden message meaningless. In fact, Linus does pick up his blanket at the end of his speech. However, he drops it again later. Amid 
Amid big, bright, colorful, shiny, artificial trees, Charlie Brown shows the least of these, a little wooden tree with just a few branches. Shortly thereafter, Linus uses his blanket to wrap about the base of the tree and says maybe it just needs a little love. At that moment, the tree awakens, stands tall and firm, a reminder that no matter who we are, how many mistakes we've made, a little love can make all the difference. Let's strive to fear not and to love one another, not just at Christmas time, but the whole year through. You see, in the midst of our culture, we are confronted with the truth that our Father in Heaven sent the Savior who was born in a manger. I remember as a, a, a young child not knowing the Lord, not having a relationship with Jesus, but I remember watching that special, and I, can feel, I could feel something. I could feel an anointing. So our culture is an opportunity to expose those who are outside of the faith to the gospel, and it's an opportunity we shouldn't miss. I do find it interesting that in a day that we celebrate God giving mankind the greatest gift of all time in the person of Jesus Christ, we commemorate that event by giving gifts to each other. Hey, Jesus died for you. I got a little something for you. You say, what's that all about? It seems a little confusing. It's where the materialism kicks in and some people miss the point. But the truth is, it's in the spirit of giving that God displayed. And so it's consistent with the season. John 3, 16 and 17, uh, the verses that uh, our faith are built on in many ways. Verse 16 is so powerful, yet, but listen to verse 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that everyone in believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Listen to 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Such a powerful message, salvation, forgiveness, not condemnation, not judgment, but the free gift of eternal life. So it's consistent with the spirit of giving because for God so loved that he gave. He didn't take, he didn't judge, he didn't condemn, he gave. The spirit of giving that we see in Christmas where we buy gifts for one another is to celebrate and to commemorate the greatest gift that was ever offered to mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. Certainly, the gifts we offer at this time and in this season, the greatest one we should offer should be to the, to the creator of heaven and earth, amen? The greatest gift we should offer should be to God. Now, this is the time where crooked preachers take an offering. But you know what? The gift that God wants from us is not our money. You know, I've seen people write a check to Jesus for Christmas. And I mean, all right, great. You know, if, that's, if you got the right heart, God bless you. But God doesn't want our money. What is God going to do with paper money with dead presidents on it? God wants us. The greatest gift we could offer to God in this season is ourselves. Fully devoted to him. Fully committed to him. Our lives laid down for the kingdom of God. What he wants is us. He doesn't want our stuff. He doesn't want our money. He wants us. You say, well, pastor, why does he want us? Because he wants to have a relationship with us. And only until we surrender to him completely can we have such a relationship. The gifts that we offer to God 
should be those of the heart. They should be the gift of ourselves. Yet, I see children during the Christmas season are all about those presents that are under the tree. Now, like it or not, every kid wakes up and they're like, man, is it going to be there? Is it going to be there, that Daisy Red Rider Model 99 lever action BB gun with a compass in the stock? Whatever the gift was, man, you're like, is it going to be there? Kids are all excited. As the children of God, we should be excited about the gifts that God has offered to us. Now, Luke 2, verses 10 and 12, as I read it, I see five gifts in there. And I want to read it to you, and then we're going to take a look at the gifts of Christmas. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid, gift number one. Behold, I bring you good news, gift number two, of great joy, gift number three which will be for all people, gift number four. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, gift number five, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. There are five gifts in Luke 2 that I want to talk to you about this morning, and I want to unwrap them with you. Uh, the The first gift here that we got... I'm going to unwrap it. I'm not good at wrapping or unwrapping. My wife likes the wrapping on the present I give her many times more than the present. But the first gift is this. It's peace. The gift of peace. You say, well, what kind of gift is that? It's a great gift. And if you don't have it, you understand how important it is. The gift of peace was given in the statement that says, do not be afraid. You see, peace can only exist in us when our fear has been dealt with. Many of us fear many things, especially in this season. We're afraid of being sick. We're afraid of being put in the hospital. We're afraid of losing our finances. We're afraid of losing our jobs. We're afraid of what the economy holds. We're afraid of what the government is going to do. And there's a lot of fear out there. But the gift of peace has been given to us in the statement, do not be afraid. Before the Savior was born, before Jesus was born, before the cross was complete, there were legitimate fears that every man had to deal with. In fact, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't given your heart to Christ, yeah, there's some fear about life. People fear things like, like, I need to have a relationship with God. Is that even possible? There are people out there who are afraid they can't connect with their creator. Some people say, I need to know God hears my prayers. I need to know I can rely on his mercy and his provision. Can I? And they're afraid. Some people who are honest would say, hey, I'm a sinner. I sin, and I can't stop. And what's worse, I even enjoy it. Is there a remedy for my sin? You see, the sinner that's stuck in their sin is fearful that they'll never, ever be able to get free. How about this thought that goes through the heads of everyone that draws breath? I'm going to die someday, and when I do, where am I going to go? You see, not knowing the answer to some of these questions brings fear. But when God deals with our fear and he answers the questions of our heart, he replaces that fear with peace. The birth of Jesus is a gift to us because it marks our formal release date from fear. 
When were you released from fear? The moment the Savior entered the world, the moment Jesus entered my heart. That was the release date that has broken the chains of fear in my life. And now fear can be replaced with peace. Amen. Are you fearful this morning? Jesus wants to give you a gift. He wants to give you the gift of peace. He wants you to exchange your fear for this. So you don't walk around chained up in fear, but you walk around in the peace that passes all understanding. Peace is a great gift. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Notice that he's given us his peace. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, one through three says this, let not your heart be troubled. What does that mean? Don't be afraid, have peace. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may also be. What a comforting scripture that breaks the power of fear and releases peace into the life of the believer. Peace is the first gift, but there's more. There's five. The second one I want to unwrap for you now. Nice wrapping paper. Should we save it? All my cheap ants would make me wrap so they could keep the paper. Hope. The second gift is hope. You say, what kind of gifts are these? They're gifts that comfort the heart. The gift of hope is a beautiful gift. The text continues, it says, I bring you good news. Where does our hope come from? It comes from the good news that was placed in that manger on that day. Hope is a priceless gift. Hope is something every one of us need. And if you don't think you need it, it's just in its absence, you will find out how precious it is. Without hope, the human spirit plunges into despair. Without hope, we quit internally. Without hope, our emotions come unglued. We starve spiritually and we die slowly. But with hope in Jesus, all things are possible. Without hope, we're finished. The enemy knows if he can steal our hope, if he can take away. Why? Because if we have nothing to hope in, if we have nothing to hope for, what's left but despair? Hope is a priceless gift. When Jesus was born and the shepherds were told and they found him in a manger, there was a ripple effect through the Jewish world that was incredible. Why? Because the Jews were eagerly waiting for the Messiah to be born. When Jesus called his, uh, his disciples, what? They were looking for the Messiah. And some of them would say, hey, look, we found the Messiah. Well, why would they you know, say that unless they had been looking for him constantly? The Jewish world was looking and waiting eagerly for the Messiah. They were hoping for him to come. Why? Because he was the one that would redeem them. He was the one that would deliver them and make them a blessed people and a free nation again. They were under the thumb of Rome and they felt 
they felt the, the, the pressure of, of being slaves to Rome, and they wanted Jesus to come, most of all, for the wrong reason that he would deliver them from Rome. They were not looking for a savior at that point as much as they were looking for a leader who would deliver them from their enemies. Even Jesus' disciples, after they walked with him for a, a time, they said, you know, when are you going to take care of the, you know, the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Jesus had a bigger picture, a bigger job to do, yet it was their hope that the Messiah would come. The good news of the birth of Jesus is hope for everyone who trusts in him. Listen to 1 Peter 1 through 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What is Jesus? Not a, not a dead hope, not a past hope, not a hope for the future. He's a living hope. Amen. And when we're born again, we're born into that, and we come alive spiritually. As believers, we have this living hope in us. What is that? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The baby was born and he was put in a rugged wooden manger, but that baby grew and he grew in favor with God and man and eventually he hung on a rugged wooden cross. From the manger to the cross, he completed his mission and he said it is finished and because it is finished we all have hope and that's the good news of the gospel today let's look at the third gift fancy it's joy anybody got joy anybody got the joy of the lord I'm having fun throwing the wrapping paper on the altar. <laughs> Joy is the third gift. It says what? I bring you good news of what? Great joy. This was a joyous occasion. Even though it was happening in a small setting, in an obscure place, in the, in the midst of the field with shepherds, it was a joyous occasion. The angels were singing. God was uh, shining down, and there was just an amazing release of joy on the people of God and, and the Jewish nation, and there was a stir amongst the people. What stirred them? It was the joy of the Lord. You know, people are willing to try everything and anything if it promises to bring them joy. It's amazing I, what I see what people will do, what they'll pursue, what they'll put in their body, what, what they'll drink, just to feel this sense of joy that they're longing for. You say, why will people do anything and everything to, to experience joy? It's because all of us need joy. And we look at the world and, and, and who ignores Christ and says, you know what, I, I don't need religion. When it's not about religion, it's all about relationship. And they'll try to find joy. And some of us, before we came to Christ, we tried to find joy anywhere we could. If we could find joy in drugs or alcohol. Listen, you can empty that bottle. There's no joy at the bottom of it. You put drugs in your body to try and alter your state of consciousness, to, to get high, to escape from your problems. There's no high like the most high. The carnal pleasures of this life, like Solomon immersed himself in every pleasure to the extreme and found that it was vanity. Smoke and mirrors, empty. 
The more we have, the emptier we are. It's not drugs. It's not alcohol. It's not carnal pleasure. It's not material excess. It's not material excess. It's not material excess. We don't need more of anything except Jesus. Jesus' birth brings us the gift of joy. Now listen to me. I want to tell you something. Joy is different than happiness. People think, oh, I just want to be happy. You know, I just want to be happy all the time. And whatever makes me feel good, makes me forget my problems, makes me happy. I don't care how long it lasts. I just want to be happy. Happiness is not joy. Happiness is a cheap counterfeit for joy. Happiness depends on what's happening around you. And if you've ever noticed, hey, if, if, you, if you never noticed, welcome to 2020. If joy, if your joy depends on happiness and what's happening around you, we should all be stone cold miserable this year. Because happiness is fleeting. One minute you're happy, one minute things are good, one minute everything's... I found in life that there, there's rarely a time where everything is going perfectly for me. And the truth is, some people have said, life is more like train tracks than anything else. There's two rails. There's one rail where there's blessing and there's peace and there's good things happening. And there's another rail where there's conflict and there's frustration and there's resistance. And those two rails run parallel all throughout our lives. And we're never going to be delivered from all the negatives. And so, hey, man, you can't just go down the one rail. I don't, I'm not participating in that rail. No, until we fall into the arms of Jesus and we run our race and finish our course, Jesus said in this world you'll have trouble. But in the midst of trouble, we can have joy. Forget about happiness. Happiness is a counterfeit. Joy is different than happiness. Joy doesn't depend on what's going on. It doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on what everybody else thinks. It doesn't depend on how we feel or, or how our bodies are. If we're sick or healthy, joy comes from the Lord. And irregardless of all those variables and external material things, we can have the joy of the Lord wherever we're at right now. There's people who are locked up in prison cells for lives that have more joy than some people who walk around every day and say that they're free. Because the joy that we talk about, it comes from the Lord. I bring you good news, hope of great joy. It doesn't come from externals. It comes from an internal wellspring that wells up in us when we surrender ourselves to Jesus. Jesus becomes the never-ending wellspring of joy to all of us who trust in him. Because the bottom line is this, no matter what life throws at us today, the worst that could happen is that we can die and spend eternity in the presence of God. The joy of the Lord comes when we belong to him because this life is like a puff of smoke, but eternity awaits those who trust in Jesus and what a glorious eternity it is. Let's look at the fourth gift today. The fourth gift might be one that, you know, you never thought about before. It's importance. It's lovely green wrapping paper. Fourth gift is unity. Unity might not seem important at times, but unity is very important. 
Unity is such a powerful thing that when mankind unified and all their languages were one and they wanted to build a tower to heaven so that they could uh, fly in the face of God to do their own thing, God confused the languages at Babel and he separated mankind because they had unified against God and God in heaven saw that their unity was dangerous. Unity is such a powerful thing when it's done in a negative, evil way, God himself has to break it up. The gift of unity comes here in this text where it says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Say all. Jesus' birth was specifically uh, aimed at the Jews who were waiting for him. They had the prophets. They knew the scriptures. They were waiting for the Messiah. But it was not just for one group of people. It was for all people. It is good news of great joy for all people. And I want you to just fixate on that all for a second. Christ unifies us in such a way that all people can have unity when they belong to Jesus. Unity is perhaps the most powerful thing. It's what God had to come down from heaven and break up himself. It is also one of the most elusive things for us to get. We as the body of Christ should have unity, but in many ways we're fragmented. Even in our denominationalism, we split churches over opinions and doctrines that are not essential. Now, I'm glad that there's multiple flavors of ice cream right, that you don't go to get ice cream and there's just vanilla. I'm thankful for double chocolate, Rocky Road, marshmallow, I don't want to get started. But there are different flavors in the kingdom of God, and that's a good thing, but we should not divide ourselves over non-essential things because we are one as the body of Christ. Unity is elusive because Man, when he attempts to unify himself without God, it will always fail. Oh, but I got a good idea, but I got a good group of people, but I got a good core. And it's, you know, without God, unity is really impossible. It can happen for brief moments, but it is unsustainable. The truth is that unity always fails when man tries to do it because of human nature. Human nature is this. People are divisive. People will divide over everything and anything. People have divided themselves since the beginning of time over culture, over customs, over skin color, over gender, over nationalism, tribalism, politics. The list is endless of what people will divide themselves over. There was a story that was told by a missionary of two tribes in in Africa that had warred with each other for hundreds of years because the one tribe looked a little different and they had big noses. And they called them the big nosies. And they actually fought and killed each other over that division. We'll divide over anything, especially if our flesh is unchecked. And we get half saved and we don't get our worldview lined up with the Bible. Help us, Lord. Unity is a gift of God. People are naturally divisive. They'll divide over anything. There is only one thing that will cure division, and that's Jesus Christ. And he was born that day in a manger. And that's why the gift he offers us today is unity. Listen to Galatians 3, 27 through 28. I'm almost done. Hang in there. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen, 
to verse 28 of Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. What unifies us? Not culture, not customs, not skin color, not politics. Jesus Christ is the only thing that unifies us today. And he has given us the gift of unity that we can be brothers and sisters together regardless of what we look like, where we come from, regardless of the size of our noses. <laughs> that we could love one another as brothers and sisters. Man, I don't know about you, but I meet Christians that I've never met before and within minutes I feel like I've known them my whole life. And I have a love for them. You know, they're like, why is this guy looking at me? I see Jesus in you and I love it. That unity that comes from Christ is a gift. I want to just open the last gift today. The grand finale. The last gift is the greatest of all. Amen. Salvation. Salvation is the gift that God has given to us. What an amazing gift. It's a gift we could never pay for, we could never earn. It's a gift we don't deserve. It is a free gift. Unto you this day was born in the city of David a Savior. He sent a Savior in that manger, who would grow up and in 33 years he would embrace the cross and break the power of sin. Notice God didn't send a doctor. Maybe now you're thinking, maybe God should have sent a doctor to heal all our sicknesses. But God didn't send a doctor. Maybe he should have sent a lawyer. Well, I could really use a lawyer to get out of all my troubles. Many times, Christians treat God like he's a lawyer. Oh, God, just get me out of trouble. Oh, God, just get me off. I promise this is the last time. He didn't send a doctor. He didn't send a lawyer. He didn't send a general to fight all our battles. He didn't send us a warrior. The Jews wanted a military leader to deliver them from Rome. Jesus wasn't what they had in mind, and so they rejected him. He didn't send us a general to fight our battles, a lawyer to get us out of our troubles, a doctor to heal all our maladies. He didn't send us a banker to manage our finances and pay all our bills. Some people treat Jesus like he's a banker, he's a, he's a warrior, he's a lawyer, he's a doctor. Yes, in some ways he's all of those things and he fights for us and he defends us. But God sent a savior. And the reason, church, that he sent a Savior is because that's exactly what we needed the most. What good is it to have a, a healthy body and a, and a full bank account and all our battles won and all our enemies defeated and we have this perfect situation that we yearn for in life, yet we gain the whole world and we lose our souls? Because sin is a situation that none of us could solve ourselves. He looked down and he said, I love them too much. I'm going to send my very best, my only begotten, and I'm going to break the power of sin. He sent a savior for all people so that we could be unified in Christ. He's given us the gift of joy today so that no matter what's going on around us, we can have joy. He's given us hope that no matter what life throws at us, we know in the final analysis, we will rest with him for eternity. And he's given us peace that passes all understanding to, so that no matter what's going on 
in our world, we can have the peace of God in our lives. The gifts of Christmas, five of them that we looked at today, they are precious and priceless gifts. And my prayer is that each of you would enjoy them to the fullest today because God has given them to us, for us, because he loves us. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you today for this time where we can get together and enjoy your presence and enjoy one another. Father, I thank you for the gifts of Christmas. I pray that in our hearts we would unwrap each of them and use them to the fullest. I pray for my brothers and sisters that don't have peace, that don't have hope, that don't have joy. Father, wherever the enemy has robbed us, Father, I rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name, and I pray for the full release of the gifts of Christmas to overwhelm the people of God. I pray in Jesus' name. I pray that salvation would flow to us and through us, that we would lead the lost to the light of God in Jesus Christ. Help us to do the work of the evangelist and be soul winners, God, because at this time there are some people who are paying attention that may not pay attention for the rest of the year. So give us opportunity to preach the gospel to them so that they can unwrap the gifts of Christmas and be part of the family of God. I prayed in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.